Oh, Lord. God, help us. Help us see your kingdom come, Lord. Help us see your will be done. Father, help us keep our eyes on you. Lord, I just pray, Father, for, for my heart, but for all of us, Lord, that this wouldn't just be for, for building another church, God. This wouldn't just be to create another flag, Lord, but that we would be here to honour and glorify your name, that we would grow and learn in you to bring glory to your name. God, that our lives would be a representation of you, Jesus, that we would be image bearers of you. Lord, help us to see the areas in our life where we're not revealing you. Lord, give us courage and strength to change those things. Jesus, we love you. We honour you. We declare your name. And Lord, I pray this morning, anything that I share that's not of you, may it fall away, God, but the things that you want to do in our hearts, may they set ablaze. And Lord, may we go into the outer parts of the world and spread your gospel, share your kingdom, reveal your heart. We love you. We honor you, Jesus. And in your name we pray. Amen. For those of you who weren't here last week, Adam brought a phenomenal um, message. He shared and, and operated in in a lot of different things. And I want to sort of touch on that and continue into Romans where we were the week before. But who, who got something out of last weekend who was here? Right? And I think there's a challenge for me that, that Adam left behind something and he deposited something in us. And before, we, um, before he came, I, 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 I explained the Ephesians 4 and what it meant that it was to be a, an aligning word. He was coming to help align and, and reshape us. And what he left behind was, was incredibly challenging for me because he, he didn't just give single words to people, although he did that and he helped unlock some of us. But he, he said something that I think was phenomenal. And he said that the harvest time is ripe, that the harvest is ripe. And as I was thinking on that during the week, I realized that the harvest is ripe, but, but the laborers are few. Right, that there is, there is a time for us to be prepared and to be ready to step into what God has for us. And as I was praying about where to go this week, I, I just felt God say, continue to Romans, because there's a part in Romans that I want to just tackle that I think we, we need to understand today in the kingdom, that there is a, a brokenness that is stopping us from operating in who God's calling us to be. That there's this hindrance that is stopping the church from rising up and being the bride, being the hands and feet of Christ. So if you've got a Bible, jump to Romans 8 with me. In a way, Adam was, was challenging us and calling us to come in to the world, come into the spheres that we have and to operate as the kingdom. But in order to operate in the kingdom of God, we must first understand that we are sons and daughters of, of the Most High, that we are sons and daughters of God, not orphans. That when we came into Christ, when we, when we were able to make that decision to step into Him, we became sons and daughters of the Most High. We'll see in a minute that it says, heirs with Christ. Heirs with Christ. That we become Owners of the household. So in Romans chapter 8, if you're there, verse 12 to 17, it says, So then, 
brothers and sisters. We are debtors. We are debtors, not to the flesh, to, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul is saying to the Romans in this, that guys, if in, in this challenge that we become debtors to the Spirit of God, we become, we become um, locked in and, and have this desire to want to live from the freedom of the Spirit of God. But it says there that we have to, we have to put to death the things of the flesh. But the only way that we can do that, the only way that we can achieve that is to do it through the Spirit. He says, by the Spirit, we are to put to death the deeds of the body. So when we choose, we choose to stand in the kingdom, we are choosing to put to death the deeds of the body. But who knows, that's not easy. That's the reality of our Christian walk, that daily we are wrestled with this decision of how, God, I want to operate in your kingdom. I want to operate from you, but I struggle to make the decision because we don't understand what it means to actually live by the Spirit. See, to live by the Spirit means that we understand what we can do within the house. I never forget as a kid, we, I grew up in a big family and, and I didn't realize till this story or this point that we were pretty wealthy, right? I always thought we were just pretty standard, but we had this house and my mum and my stepdad had decided to build this new house and we had to sell the house we were in in order to build this new house. And we moved into this tiny tiny house I've got five there's four I got four older brothers so five boys plus my stepdad had two kids so seven kids and my mom and stepdad in this tiny three-bedroom house and I'll never forget I had a friend come over from school and he came into the house and always in my home it's sort of the the I'm going to say it really terribly and 80 going to be upset with me but the Mikasa Sukasa right my home your home how did I go 80 mild Six out of ten. No, Paola's giving me a seven back there, so I'll take the seven. It's ten. Ten. I'll take ten. It means my home is your lies. <laughs> it means my home is your home, right? And the rule was in my home that you could come because there were so many of us and just come and hang out, right? And I remember a friend came over to me and he was like a, like a, a just a, an old church mouse, like he didn't want to touch anything. He asked if he could have everything. Can I sit here? Can I grab a drink of water? And we're standing at the front. I said, hey, yeah, just do whatever you want to do. And he said, man, this house is the biggest house I've ever seen. And I realized in that moment, because we used to whinge about how small it was. We used to whinge about how it wasn't what we had and it wasn't where we were going. And he said to me, this house is the biggest house I've ever seen. And I remember saying to myself, thinking to myself, oh, I thought this is small, tiny and insignificant. But from his perspective, he was like an orphan in my home. And it took him a while to realise. You ever you go to a friend's house where you feel so comfortable that you can go into the cupboard, you can get yourself a glass of water, you can grab something out of the fridge, but then you go to somebody else's house and you're like, you sit down awkwardly on the couch like, I don't know where I'm allowed to be, right? Because you are not a son in that house. But when you watch a kid come in, when you go to a friend's house and their kid comes in and they're just into everything. I can grab a bit of this, I can grab that, do you want some cake? You know, we sit whatever. Because the son in the house or the child in the house knows that's their house. 
right? They know the confines in which they're allowed to operate. They know the space in which they can come in and out of. They know what takes place. They know, hey, this is my home. Yeah, I can get you that. Because they know that this is my place. That's what God is asking for us in the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, no, I have brought you in as a son to live in my house and to operate from my house like you know what's taking place. That in the kingdom of heaven, we should be able to operate in the way to say, hey, do you need that? I'll give it to you. Well, how can you do that? Oh, because it's my dad's and I know that I'm allowed to give it away. Hey, do you need peace? I can give that to you. How? Because it's my dad's and I can give it away. Hey, do you need healing? Well, how are you going to do that? Oh, we've got heaps of them in the cupboard. Right? When we start to operate as sons and we realize, no, I am a son or a daughter in this house. This is my home. God has given me the ability to operate as a son and a daughter. And I'm going to get into it later. But there's an there's a understanding in the ancient... Um, so there's an understanding in the ancient way that there was a a ring that was given, a signet ring, right? And we use it now in a way as our wedding rings, but it was a signet ring that was given and on the ring was the seal of the house. And what they would do was it was kind of like a signature that when they wanted to buy something, they would drip hot wax on the table and they would stamp the signet ring as a credit card to say, I'm buying this thing, right? And everybody in the house had the ring. It was dad's ring and I could spend and buy from that. That's why when the prodigal son comes home and the father says, put a ring on his finger, it was the signet ring to say, everything that you lost, I'm giving back to you. So what happens in the kingdom of God is that we all operate with the signet signet ring of the father that when we step into a situation, we have the rights to operate on his behalf. We have the right to buy the things that he would want us to buy. I'm not talking about the red Ferrari that you want. I'm talking about the fact that we get to operate from the spiritual realm of the kingdom because we are sons and daughters who carry the signet ring to say, I am here on my father's behalf. But the challenge is, is that when we start to operate as, as sons, we begin to become challenged and often most of us revert back to being orphans because we don't know what it looks like to, to live as sons and daughters. It's like when you, when you buy something new but you don't really want to use it because you're like, oh, I just know how the old one works. Remember my stepdad got a new phone once and he never wanted to use it. He liked the old one because I know how it works. I remember it. Yeah, but you can do so much more. Yeah, but I I know this. I'm comfortable with this. What happens in the kingdom of God is when we get saved, we go, I don't want to live like that because it's pretty scary. I know the place that I've been. I'll just stay here. I I had a friend explain it to me like this once that it's kind of like having somebody give you a, a credit card with no limit on it and you put the credit card in the top drawer and close it, you've still got it, but you never ever actually take it out and start using it. What God is asking of us as a people, how we start to actually make change in our sphere of influence, in our cities, in our nations, is that we have to start wearing the signet ring God's given us and start operating on his behalf. Start being sons and daughters who take back the claim that their father has given them. Paul continues on in chapter tw- uh, in verse 12. He says, 
sorry, he continues on in verse 14. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba is an ownership. I know that that's my daddy. I know that's my dad. I know that's my father. And I know that there's a comfort in that because I know that I'm his son. Sean shared a few weeks ago about Rivi loving superheroes. But when something goes wrong, when he hurts himself, he doesn't yell out for Batman. He yells out for the comfort of his father or his mother. Why? Because he knows who he is in that home. He knows that dad will come to my rescue. Or when something's exciting, he doesn't run to show his, his Batman figurine. He says, dad, look what I did. Why? Because he understands the reality of being a son in his father's house. See, what happens is often we learn a behavior and it holds tight in us. That's why we, we feel and, and just shared so adequately about changing and renewing our mind because what happens is in our mind, we often revert back to orphanhood. We often revert back to thinking, I can't buy that, I can't afford that. And we live as an orphan when the father is asking us to live as a son. We're eating the scraps from the table when God is saying, I have prepared a meal for you. Adoption is the place that is, a, is in preference of the original. One thing that replaces the other. We were all broken, lost, hurt. I don't know how, how far we go with this. Terrible. <laughs> Sinners, whatever you want to say, right? But the adoption replaced that to allow us as sons. We were slaves, but God said, I want to make you free. We were lost, but God said, no, I want you to be found in me. The adoption takes us from one place to the other. But if we still live out of our, out of our orphanhood, then we don't operate out of our sonship. Then we go around and around and around and around and around because we don't know who we are and that we can go to the cupboard and grab the thing out because my dad said that I could. See, when, when people ask me why I... I love the scriptures so much is because this helps me understand who I am. This helps me understand what my father's house looks like. This helps me understand what the confines are in which I can act and where I can stand. So when I say, well, God said that, that we can be healed, I feel like a little son saying, well, my dad said that he could beat up your daddy. Doesn't matter what the other guy's dad looks like. We believe that as kids, right? Because dad said it. Like if I'm, uh, I don't know if, if how many of you guys have listened to Sean's testimony on the podcast, but go and listen to it. It's phenomenal. And listen to Debbie's. Where's Debbie? Debbie's went out today as well. Go listen to Deb's, Deb's testimony. I promise you won't be disappointed. And you'll come, sorry, and you'll come back next week and you'll want to give Deb a hug. But Sean tells, talks about in his, in his testimony that, that they believed everything that their mum told them about their dad. He was the best fisherman. He was the best sheep shearer in all of New Zealand. And they believed that. They would tell their friends that. Because right? as a kid, when our dad speaks, everything he says is real. 
But what we have to challenge with today is our mind that says, as an orphan, that's not real. Well, I'm not going to be provided for. But God said that we would be provided for. Yes, but I just can't see that in here. Yeah, because in here you're living like an orphan where God is asking you to live like a son or a daughter. We have been given the adoption of freedom. But we have to be led by the Spirit of God. So when we start to understand what it looks like to be led by the Spirit, what it looks like to hear God's still small voice, what it looks like to operate in the confines of the kingdom of God, we start to live out of our sonship. We start to put the ring on our finger and start to to use what God has given us. We can speak into a moment and and peace will come. We can speak into into a body and healing will come. We can speak into a situation and wisdom will come. How did you know that? I don't know other than my God said that I could know that. My Father said that I could know that. There's times where I've been in in meetings where something has just dropped in my heart and I've been able to pinpoint something and say something that unraveled the whole thing and someone said, how did you know that? I wish I had a better answer for you, but my daddy told me I could. That's it. And I'm operating from the spirit of sonship, from the spirit of freedom that is in God to be a part of who he's asked me to be. I know what the kitchen looks like and I know what cupboard I can go to. I know that I can walk in and grab that thing because my dad said that I could. I know what the house looks like. We have been given a spirit of adoption to replace the things that were the former to allow the things that God has given to us. We become sons and daughters who cry, Abba, Father, I know you. That's why Jesus, when he says, pray like this, he says, pray like this, Father who art in heaven. Why does he say that? Because he wants us to remember that we are sons coming to the Father. Sons and daughters. That we come as the children of God. Think about your kids if you've got kids. They come, they can ask anything they want. They're allowed to at least petition. Can I have chocolate cake for dinner? Right? And kids, I love, I love watching Rivi and Marley ask questions where I know Coco's going to say no, but he's like, well, good try though. You had a crack, right? Can I please have the cake? No. Worth a go. At least I asked. Right? Because a son and a daughter doesn't feel like they can't approach the father. But yet there's times that we come and we come in this, in this weird sort of orphan. Am I allowed to sit on the couch? We have so many Christians in the church today awkwardly sitting on the couch, not sure if they're allowed to touch anything. Like I'm in here. I'm here, but I don't know if I'm allowed to go and get a glass of water. I don't know. Is it okay if I leave my shoes on? But God is saying, you are a son in this house. You are a daughter in this house. And what happens is, is that for a lot of us, for some of us, we have a broken understanding of what a father looks like. That's why right now, you, you fathers in this house, be dads. Because we need to know what dads look like. Be there for your kids. Man up. Be a dad. Why? Because God has given us a picture to lead as fathers. And your kids want to be able to say, I know what a dad looked like. I know what a dad looked like. But for some of us, not for me, because I, I had a phenomenal father. I have a phenomenal father. Sorry, P-Rad, if you're listening. 
you're still alive. You've got plenty of years left. But we have to rebuild our understanding of what a father looks like so that we can relearn what it means to be a son or a daughter. The only way that we can rebuild that if you've had a broken father is to understand it through this, to see God in Scripture, to see God through the Spirit revealing that Scripture, not just here, but to see God in our life, in everything that He does, to say, I am a son of yours, God, the Most High. Why? Because when I understand who the Father is, I understand what it means to be a son. And I understand how to operate in his kingdom and reveal God's plans and purposes. We have to understand the reality of sonship in order for us to start to move in what God has for us, in order for us to start to see the kingdom revealed and pushing back darkness. Who are the people that are going to push back the darkness with the kingdom? Us, sons and daughters of the Most High, knowing who our Father is. You see, when, when, when the, the demons go after, when the demons go after the sons of Sceva, they didn't know who he was. I can't remember where that story is. I'll put it somewhere. But they didn't know who he was. They said, we don't know who you are. Paul we know and Christ we know, but you we do not know. Right, but when the demons came to Jesus, they left him and they listened to his voice because he, they knew who he was. And he knew who he was. Jesus knew who he was. He stepped into that situation saying, I know who I am. I'm the son of the most high. So you have no place here. Off you go. I love that Jesus didn't yell and holler at the demons. He didn't shout them out. He just took his authority and he said, you leave now. You know a father is, is standing in his authority when the son will listen to a still voice that says, put that back, go to your room. And there's just this quiet, like, that's worse than yelling, right? When dad went, like, stern and quiet, it's like, goodness gracious, everyone do what you're supposed to. Everyone. Because there's a wooden cooking paddle coming out. As Josh called a wooden spoon, a wooden cooking paddle. Right, the authority of a father to speak to a son. That's the way we get to be with God. There is this, this fatherly, daddy relationship, but there is also the strong, stern, do-as-you've-been-asked relationship from the father. If we lean either way, we become into error. If we lean too far in this airy-fairy, sit on the father's lap every day, and he just loves me, and yeah, he does, but there's also the strong, come on, my boy, Get your boots on. Let's go. My, the relationship I have with my father now to when I did when I was two is very different. And so it should be. Right? There's a deepening in that. But there's a change in that. Paul continues on in, in verse 16. He says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are Children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are heirs. Heirs of God. Children of the Most High. There's a big difference by... The way we understand this, Jess and I are looking for a house at the moment, which is almost a joke, as Elaine would know. 
You just walk in and go, mm, okay, well, we'll see ourselves out, eh? But there's a very big difference in the way that a real, a realtor, real, real estate agent, re, re, realtor, a realtor sells a house to the way that an owner reveals what the house is. So you, you go to, as Elaine would know, you go to a realtor and they will tell you the things of the house, right? Three bedrooms, two bathrooms, carport, entertaining area. And as a buyer, you go and you see all these things. But when you ask a homeowner what they love about their house, you hear a different story. They'll still tell you those things. There's three, be- there's three bedrooms, two bathrooms. But they'll tell you what it sounds like at 7 o'clock in the morning with a coffee in your, in your hand, sitting on the, the back porch. They'll tell you what the birds sound like in the morning. They'll tell you how, what it looks like when the sun sets with a beer in your hand with their friends. They'll tell you the memories that have been made in that house. They'll tell you the little nooks and crannies things. You know the, the, the movie The Castle when um, the guy asks Mr Kerrigan about his house. He says, see that lattice up there? Fake. What's it there for? Adds a bit of charm. Why? Because he's telling the heart of the house. He's telling, the, he's telling everything like... That scene is phenomenal because Mr. Kerrigan is so impressed with his house that he tells the guy who's going to evaluate it the things that he doesn't care about. Right? He tells him about the dogs. He tells him about the patio he wants to build. Why? Because it's his home and he loves it. But when you hear the, the, the realtor, they're just trying to get you to buy the fancy things, right? Which is their job. What's the point? The point is, is that we have too many real estate agents in the kingdom and not enough owners of the kingdom. Not enough people who are standing in and saying, hey, it's not just a church. It's not just Sunday morning. It's not just good coffee. It's not just a nice preach. This is the reality of my home. This is what the Father has said and done. This is what the kingdom means to me. This is what Jesus as Lord and Savior means to me. It's not a sales pitch. It's a reality in my heart that says, I need this more than ever. This is who I am. I once had a lady say to me on Sunday morning, she came through the door and she said, can you convince me as to why I should stay here? I said, no, no, I can't. And she left and that was our conversation because the reality was, no, I'm not going to give you a sales pitch as to what our coffee tastes like. I'm not going to give you a sales pitch as to how well I speak or whether we do long sermons or short sermons or through books or, or expository teaching or or I'm not going to do that. Why? Because it's a reality of who I am that you just need Jesus and I hope you find him. That when it becomes about this, when it becomes about our flag that we stick in the ground, we've lost what it means to be a son or a daughter of the Most High. When we actually learn that we get, can be excited about what it means to be in the house of God, I'm not just a Christian because that's a nice tagline. I'm a Christian because I'm a son of the Most High. I'm a co-heir with Christ. I'm not just a Christian because I go to church on Sunday morning or I don't say swears or, or I, I do good things. No, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian because God adopted me into his home. I'm not an orphan anymore. I'm not lost anymore. I'm a son of the Most High. My daddy will beat your daddy, I promise. 
That's the reality of, of Christ. That's what Paul is saying, that when we become heirs with Christ, when we become sons and daughters in Christ, we become owners of the house. We're not just flicking out a sales pitch. I'm not trying to convince you to come to church on Sunday morning because it'll be good for you. No, I'm, I'm trying to convince you to operate as a son and a daughter of the Most High in your sphere, who you are. Yeah, come be part of this. Absolutely. Why? Because it's encouraging to worship together. It's encouraging to glorify God together. It's, it's sharpening when we're with each other. But more than just come to church, I want to encourage you guys to be a son and a daughter and to stop living like orphans. We all have to wrestle with this, myself included. God, who am I? You're my son. Who am I? You're my son. You're my daughter. You are a co-heir with me. I want to share a story with you that I didn't write and most of us would have read before. It's in Luke chapter 15, if you have a Bible. But I want to show you something that... Luke chapter 15, starting from verse 11. I've said this before, but I, I want to say it again. In my Bible, I crossed out the heading for this story, for this recount rather, it's not a story. I crossed out the heading because I don't like it. And I'm allowed to do that because it's my Bible. And you can cross it out if you'd like to as well. Because the, the heading is called the prodigal son. But I don't think this story is just about one son. Right? It's not the prodigal son. I like to call this story the orphaned brothers. And I'll tell you why. From 11, he said, there was a man who had two sons. Right off the bat, it says two sons and we changed it to prodigal son. Okay, that's the last one I'll do on that. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had. He took a journey into a far country and he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and I'll go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassionate and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his oldest son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. He called for one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come 
and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came and entreated him and he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But then when this son of yours came, not my brother, your son came, who, had, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive, but he was lost and is found. Both of these sons are operating from orphanhood. Both of these sons do not realize the house of the father in which they lived. Both of these sons did not use what God had given them to continue the legacy of the father's house. The first one, yeah, he runs. He takes his legacy and he runs. But I think for me, the second son is almost in a worse position. Why? Because he's standing in the house of the father, yet he doesn't know how to operate as a son. The father has said to him, son, this has always been yours. You never took the ring off. You never took the coat off. You've always had the shoes on. You could have had any one of these fattened calves, but yet you stood in here angry and bitter and held on to your orphanhood when I was trying to make you a son. We lean more to the prodigal son because there's an exciting adventure when the prodigal son comes home. Absolutely. The fact that the father runs down and meets him is phenomenal. He doesn't wait for him to come. He engages him and he meets him and he restores everything. Each one of those things means something. The shoes and the cloak and the ring. He was giving back what was taken from the son. But it's the other son that's so interesting. Your son, not my brother. See, he was operating from bitterness and anger that he forgot who God had made him to be. See, what happens in the church is we get ourselves all tangled in these webs of what this thing is supposed to look like that we start looking inwardly and it becomes all about me. Nobody called me. Nobody did that for me. I didn't get healed. Adam didn't give me a word. That person got blessed and I'm over here struggling to pay my bills. That's orphanhood. That's the spirit of an orphan. Why? Because that son who got blessed, he knows how to use the ring. That son who got blessed is wearing the coat and the covering of his father and you have one too, but you've not put it on. See, what happens is when we start to operate out of the spirit of orphanhood, we start to revert back to the things we used to live in. Well, I'm not going to talk to Tim because he didn't talk to me. So we have a Mexican standoff at the door as to who's going to say hello first because it's all going to be about me. That's an orphan spirit. Why? Because the son comes in and goes, man, I love you. I love this place. I love who you are. Why? Because my father loves me. I don't need to prove anything to you. And you know, it's interesting. I, I, I go into meetings sometimes with with church leaders from all over and you can just watch these orf this orphan spirit just run around in the place because we're all sort of trying to protect ourselves and be something. We've got to put this face on because I don't know who I am. Don't you know who you are? I'm a son of the Most High. It's Him who's made me something. Before this, you should have seen me before this, I was lost, I was nothing. But now, I'm a son, I wear the ring, I wear the coat. 
God's put his shoes on my feet. I know how to operate because I'm a son of the Most High. This is the challenge that we have all the time. That person got something. Why does that irk me so much? Why did he get a house? Why did she get a partner? God, are you forgetting me? No, you've forgotten you. You've forgotten who you are. I haven't forgotten you. I've never forgotten you. Why? Because you're my son and my daughter, but you've forgotten that you're my son or my daughter. You've become so intrigued. You see that the son, the, the, the elder brother, he's not in the house. He's out in the field. He removed himself from the house. The father has to go out to him in the field. He had been so twisted and angry about it that he actually took himself out of the father's house. It wasn't just the prodigal that ran. He was working in the field, but he could have come back in when he heard the commotion. But instead, he said, I refuse to go back where they hurt me. We have so many Christians right now wrestling with the spirit of orphanhood. Whereas God is saying, if you will remember that you're a son, I will vindicate you. Don't worry about the person who hurt you. I will deal with them. I will vindicate you, my son. Let me deal with that. You're hurt? Great. I will heal you. You don't know where you're going? Great. I have a plan and a purpose for you. I am your father and I know the call that I have for you, the plans and the purposes I've laid before you. I want to finish with this. This is not our house. This is the Father's house. We are sons and daughters in it. This is not my church, his church, their church, that church. It's his church. We are his people. We operate as sons and daughters in his home. When we come and worship, we're not coming because, God, I want to get something from you. No, Lord, I'm coming to just worship and honor you. Why? Because you're the father of the most high. And what a dad loves to do for a son is to pour out on that son. We don't have to come and ask for blessing. Why? Because he brings blessing for us. We don't have to come and grovel and ask for a way forward because he already has it. What we have to come and do is open our hands to say, Lord, whatever you want, it's yours. And he will fill your cup. What we do in the house time and time and time and time again is that we are trying to live out of our own orphan spirit. So we have to put more flags out the front. We have to put better coffee on. We have to have more welcome teams. We have to have more worship bands and bigger lights and bigger sounds. Why? Because deep inside, I'm an orphan and I need to fulfill myself. But when we can understand as a people how to live and operate like sons and daughters of God, we will watch the church become powerful again. When we see everyone put the ring back on, put the coat back on to say, here's my covering, Lord, I'm going to operate and live for you in all that I do. I'm going to lay down my hurt. I'm going to put aside that pain. I'm going to put aside that disappointment because I know as a son you have what's for me. I know that this is the kitchen and the living room of the Most High. I know that I can get a glass of water. I know that you have something for me. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Let's pray. Why don't you stand? I'm not saying that I have this either, guys. I, I too have to remember who I am. 
remember that when things don't go my way, when, when things don't go as planned, when my plan doesn't work quite how I thought it would, I have to remember who I am. But it's when God reveals his heart to me, I go, Ben, that's not who you are. You are a son of the Most High. You wear the ring and the robe and the shoes of the Most High. So, Father, I just pray this morning, Lord, and you just open your hands. God, I just pray this morning that, that we would receive the reality of your sonship. That, God, this verse, we have been given the adoption, the spirit of adoption to cry, Abba, Father, wouldn't just be a nice verse that we put on our fridge, Lord, but would be rooted deep in our heart that reveals that we are sons and daughters of the Most High. That when the, when the troubles and the waves of life come, that we would realize that's not who I am. We would stand and, and, and ask, God, bring me a husband, bring me a wife. God, bring me the finances, bring me my job. That we would realize that you have those things in your timing for us, but we can rest in the fact that we are and will always be sons and daughters of yours. Lord, let, our, let the eyes of our heart be open to lay down a fence. God, and I just pray right now, for those in this house and in this room and for those who, who aren't in the church this morning and who refuse to go back, Lord, I pray that you break right now, Jesus, the offense that holds them away. God, that for these prodigals to come home, for the sons and daughters to, to be realized, Lord, that the, the, the spirit of offense and the spirit of orphanhood would be broken right now, Jesus, in your name. God, that the anger and the frustration at the church God, the deconstructing, the pulling apart, the pain and suffering, God, would be broken in your name, Jesus. And Lord, we would remember that we are sons and daughters of the Most High, your co-heirs, Lord, and you've asked us to operate with you. Change our hearts, O oh God. Change our hearts, Lord. Reveal Reveal the adoption by which we've come into. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If you haven't given your life to God, if you haven't stepped into that, if you haven't asked Him, to be your Lord and Savior, to give yourself in that realm, to become a son or a daughter, to change from brokenness and lost into the kingdom. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. When everyone goes to get a coffee, I'm going to stay out the front. Just come. We can talk through that. And also, too, I just feel that if there's, if you feel like there is orphan tendencies in your life that you cannot shake but I want to ask you to come forward too let me pray for you it will be the beginning of your journey there will be a breaking that God will move through that through your willingness to let it go but Father we thank you for who you are we love you, we honour you Jesus you are worthy, you are holy you are mighty and Lord, we thank you that we have been given the freedom to step in as sons and daughters of the Most High. 
Lord, thank you that you've, that you've given us the robe. Father, the ring, the shoes, Lord God, the things that you've asked us to be, thank you. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. And in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.